sometimes I feel that uh, as I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed, I come across posts from my friends, and I ask the question, who are these people? You know, these people that you are seeing their adventures, you're seeing their kids, you're seeing their, uh, you're seeing just their fun times of, 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 of these people, and you're just wondering, who are these people? I don't even know them. I don't even know how I became Facebook friends with these people. At some point, we were probably uh, acquaintances or fellow students or uh, roommates even, and we just don't know each other anymore. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I just feel uh, it's quite, it just feels good to go through your Facebook friend list and just start deleting some of your friends, and you're like, don't know you, don't know you, used to know you, don't know you anymore, you're just kind of going through and you're deleting some of those, those Facebook friends that you have. Uh, but kind of the reality is, is that we don't really know each other. We say that we're Facebook friends, but, but you don't know me and I don't know you, so why are we calling each other friends? But have you noticed that kind of even more than that, our society kind of tries to call everything a friend? Everyone is a friend. You're a friend. You're a friend. You're a friend. We're all friends. And so it's just kind of, our, our society as a whole is just pretty much just kind of going through and, and um, is calling everything a friend. And I think it, it cheapens and it lessens the idea of what friendship is. In a lot of ways, we kind of walk away with this kind of vague sense of, of friendship. We kind of know what friendship should be or, or should produce. And so we, we have a mass of friends, but we don't really know anyone. And so sometimes we kind of tend to measure friendship by, uh, by common interests, right? We both like Seahawks, or I like football, you like football, I like the Seahawks, you like the 49ers, so there's some friendship and some animosity there. Uh, but but we, we tend to gauge our friendship by common interests. Maybe you're into fishing, I'm into fishing, dancing. We're both into dancing, so therefore we should be friends. And so we see all of these common interests that, that we, can, we tend to think of as being uh, a friendship. But common interests alone don't produce friendship. We also kind of measure friendship by uh, time spent together. We figure that if we spend a lot of time with someone, they must be our friend, right? But that's not always the case. And so time, yes, is necessary for friendship, but time is not what produces friendship. And then the kind of the last thing that we look at is life experiences. We see people who are in similar life stages as us, or, or, uh, or yeah, we, we tend to see kids or people with, with, with small kids, and with small kids myself, I'd say, I think maybe this person might be my friend. We, are, we have similar life experiences, we have similar life goals maybe, and so there's some similarity there that we might be able to be friendship, or we might be able to have friendship. But you see, the thing is, is that our life experiences don't necessarily produce friendship. And yes, we can gauge our friendships by time together, by, uh, by similar interests, and even by life experiences, but those things don't produce friendship. And so it leaves us with the, the question, how do we actually have quality relationships? How do we have friendships where people know us and people love us? So this is where we're going to find help in the book of 
Proverbs. As you know, we've been in our summer series, uh, Wisdom, or Proverbs, Wisdom for Life. And so we've been going through the book of Proverbs, and we've been seeing how does Proverbs relate to our lives today. Uh, First week, Pastor Kevin talked about the importance of wisdom and ultimately grounded wisdom in the idea to, to fear the Lord. And so if we want to be wise, we have to begin with a a fear of the Lord. Then he talked about the importance of of wisdom today. And then he talked about the importance of wisdom in, in, in our words and how our words mean things, how our words matter. And then last week, Pastor Kevin taught on the importance of having positive influences in our life. He was talking about how... who. Uh, about how our circle of friends will determine what, who, who we are going to be. And he said this. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. As he said that last week. And so the idea is that our friends shape us and mold us and, and form us into the people that we're going to be. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of potency to friendship. And so... I am who I am, maybe not because of my, my upbringing, not because of my parents, but a large part because of my friends. My friends have shaped and molded me in, in tremendous ways. And so, again, friendships have the power to determine the type of people that we're going to be. And also, two weeks ago, Pastor Kevin introduced the Bible tree. The Bible tree is a list of references for you to write in, the, in your title page. And this week, we're going to be looking at kind of the character of good friends or qualities of good friends. And so, uh, can you pull that Bible tree up, Zach? So, go ahead and write these references down. Our, our, the, the thing about these is these are showing good quality, uh, what, what good quality friendships look like. And so, I, want, I encourage you just to go back and to, to review those, those uh, references and there's just a lot that Proverbs has to say about friendship. Uh, and, and there's just so much that I can't even include today. But there's something fundamental about the relationship between friendship and wisdom. And Solomon tells us something that we can't overlook in Proverbs 13:20. He says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. At its root, Solomon is telling us something fundamental about the idea of friendship. He's telling us that it's fundamental to the human experience. To be human is to experience friendships. And so we also need to recognize something else, that friendship is a gift from God. It actually began in the heart and the mind of God before creation. You see, we can look back uh, up to Genesis 2.18, and it says that it is, God says that it is not good for man to be alone. Up to this point in the Bible, two chapters in, everything that God has created, he has said it's good. It means that it is perfect, it is complete, it is lacking nothing. And yet he looks at the state of man being alone, and he says this is not good. And so he created Eve, and through the creation of Eve, God said that all creation is good. So friendship is directly from God. 
It didn't start on earth, but it began in heaven, and it is for us. Of course, the immediate context of Genesis 2, yes, deals with marriage. And while marriage is a good thing, the subtext is referring to friendship. We need friends. We need people in our lives speaking truth to us. You see, we need friends to help us navigate the brokenness and the messiness of life. We need friends to navigate through the confusion of this world. We need friends to navigate the sinfulness of this world, both in ourselves and in others. We need friends to help us navigate our pride. We need friends to help us navigate uh, hair loss and weight gain. We need friends to, to navigate broken marriages, rebelling children, loss of jobs, loss of, uh, loss of loved ones. So we need friends in our lives to speak into us. You see, life isn't easy. We're all scarred. We're all broken in various different ways. And so God has created friendship for us. So there are three qualities of friends that I want to talk about today. Uh, Before I talk about that, uh, before we look at those qualities, I want to say something that I just want you to write down. I want you to to walk away with this one statement as you think about all of the things that are going through this week, all the things that you need to do. Uh, Life gets busy, and so I just want you to walk away with this one thing. Be the friend you want to have. Sounds a little bit trite, but the idea here is that friendship doesn't start with other people pursuing us while that happens, and we should be happy about that. But if we want to be a good friend, we need to be a good friend ourselves. And so the idea here is that friendship is hard. Friendship is difficult work. It doesn't always come, e- come easy. But this, it just makes, it makes our lives better. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this. He says, friendship is unnecessary like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. So just as we think about that text, that, that uh, quote, Lewis is saying that friendship is necessary to make life survivable. There's a value to friendship that we can't exactly quantify But we can say that friendship is necessary for us to survive or or give value to survival. Kind of the the root behind that is that life is more enjoyable uh, and our disposition is is changed with the presence of friends in our lives. Uh, Studies are showing that friends are necessary to uh, uh, thriving mental and physical health surprisingly. It's just, it's rooted in this idea that that friendship is necessary for good mental health. So while we're focusing on these three qualities of being a good friend, of course Proverbs covers more qualities than these three. Proverbs covers the idea of being a sacrificial friend, being a generous friend, and, and more. 
So I, I encourage you to go through Proverbs and see how does Proverbs shape and mold the, our idea of friendship. And so the first quality we have to look at is that, is that we have to be a faithful friend. Notice what Proverbs 18.24 says. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, at the foundation of this, it means that, that faithfulness is the foundation of any relationship. I love what Spurgeon has to say about this. He says, fidelity is an absolute necessity in a true friend. We cannot rejoice in, our, in others unless they will stand faithful to us. You see, it's through the willingness to walk alongside someone, not just in the joys of life, not just in the uh, excitement of life, but in through the, the worst of our time, or the worst times of our lives that, that produces faithfulness. It's noticing people, uh, it, it's in our times of crisis that we notice people's faithfulness. It's when we look back and we see, hey, I really needed my friend in this time of life, and they were there. That's when we notice that our friend is sticking close to us. Not when they're watching Seahawks games with us, not when they're going on hikes with us, but when it's at the absolute worst times of our lives that our friends are present in our life, and this is when we need the most. And that's what faithfulness is. Just even as we look at the life of Paul, um, we see a life that is just sold out for the gospel. Um, we see uh, him beaten. We see him nearly killed a handful of times. And yet we see him continually pursuing the gospel, continually preaching the gospel, and it lands him in prison. And he tells us in, in the book of Philippians that almost all of his friends deserted him. It was lonely. He was uh, isolated. But we find this little snippet in, in 2 Timothy 1, and as Paul is in his greeting, and he talks about this man named Onesiphorus. Uh, it's quite a mouthful. It's O-N-E-S-I-P-H-O-R-S. But anyways, you can find that in 2 Timothy 1, 15. So Paul talks about this no-name. While he was in prison, this, this man sought him out in Rome. This man pursued Paul, and Paul even says that he wasn't disgusted by his chains. You see, faithfulness is more than just being present with someone. It's, it's looking past the brokenness and the ugliness of our lives and being faithful to, to be a friend to someone. See, to be a faithful friend today means that we're present for each other through our moral failings. It means that we're present with each other through our pride, through our sin, through our brokenness. And we are looking past just the brokenness of, of each other and that we are being present with each other. Being a faithful friend doesn't mean that we always have to have the right words. Sometimes we think that we have to have the right words to say at the right moment. Sometimes someone's presence is, is necessary. And we even see that a good friend is someone who walks into your world when the rest of your world is walking out. After turning 18, I moved in, uh, moved away from my parents and with a couple of my brothers. And I was probably at one of the lowest points in my life. I was angry with God. 
I was angry with my parents. I was angry with the church. I wanted nothing to do with the church. Story for another day. Uh, and really the only thing that was holding my life together was my, my high school relationship. And she decided to break up with me using the old, uh, it's not you, it's me line, but we all know that it was actually me, not her line. <clears throat> but anyways, so she broke up with me, and, and so everything that I thought I held dear was, was broken, it was gone. And I didn't know how to process my emotions. I didn't know how to um, process the, the pain and the hurt that I had. And my best friend at the time just came over randomly, kind of knew what had happened, and he just made me food. He just made me a lunch. And so just looking back at that, neither one of us said anything for about three hours. It was probably painfully uncomfortable for him. But it was a tremendous source of encouragement for me just to have someone present in my life at just such a hard time. I didn't need words. I needed someone to be present. And so sometimes we just need to recognize that to be a faithful friend, we need to be present in someone else's life. Uh, the reality is, is that we all are just hurting. We're all broken, just some more than others. Uh, but we also see that faithful friends counsel and encourage one another. And so, yes, it goes beyond having a presence. It goes beyond being there for someone. But it also means that we are able to use encouraging words to counsel and comfort our friends. As Pastor Kevin told us two weeks ago, we need to use our words to encourage each other. You remember that? He was talking about how we just need to be mindful of, of using our words to build up. And so an a faithful friend uses their words to build up their friend. <clears throat> it what we see is that life is lonely. Life can be isolating. Every single person in here has felt at some point or currently that we are alone in life, that people don't understand us. And so we need people to speak into us to continue to remind us that we're not alone, that we're not isolated. And so, again, just the faithful friend looks past the worst part of our lives and continues to love us, continues to pour into us, continues to, to see our brokenness and continues to be there for us. This idea of faithfulness also doesn't just apply to us as individuals, but it applies to us as churches. One of the things that Pastor Kevin and I strive to do, and we're not always the best at this, but we strive to, to be aware of people who are hurting and are just struggling in their faith here at Restoration. And so we attempt to reach out. We attempt to, to just keep people uh, just keep, keep people in the loop and, and let them know that we love them. Not so that they'll continue to come back to church, but that they will feel valued, that they'll feel loved, that they'll feel appreciated. And so that's one of the things that Pastor and Kevin and I highly value is, is reaching out to people here at Restoration to care for and to love and to tend to. And so we do this all because we know that life is not designed to be navigated alone. God does not want us to be alone in this world. Again, loneliness is not good. And so it, what we see is that if we want to have faithful friends, we need to be that faithful friend. Not only 
our good friends faithful in difficult times, um, but they also speak truth into our lives. And a true friend will tend to be honest with us, which brings us to our second quality. We need to be honest friends. Let's read Proverbs 27, 17, and Hebrews 10, 24. It says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And then in Hebrews, And let us consider how to stir up one another to, to love and good works. The reality is, is that we need friends to not flatter us, but to refine us. Friendship, one of the purposes of friendship is to refine us, to make us better. The rea- again, as individuals, we become blunted. We lose our edge. We lose our, our, um, our sharp thinking sometimes. And so everyone needs friends who won't just tell us what we want to hear, but tell us what we need to hear. A true friend will risk that relationship to tell us what is wrong or, or what needs to be improved. As we even think back towards that iron sharpening iron, it, it has this, this mental image of pain, right? I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be stuck. But the idea here is that it's not constant, unceasing pain, but it is harm that is meant to make us better. It, it, it's, it's pain that, that makes us grow. And so we need friends to constantly lovingly challenge us in our apathy, in our complacency, in our bad thinking, in our sin. And we need friends to be able to pour into us and and sharpen us and grow us. Ultimately, not just for the sake of doing all these things, but for the sake of growing us into the image of Christ. So this is where vulnerability comes in. Vulnerability is necessary for us to allow people into our lives, and it's, it's scary. We never know what damage this person is going to do to our lives. Some of us have been hurt and burned by friends, and, and the idea of friendship scares us, makes us think that we can do things alone. So friendship is necessary, but there's also vulnerability that we need to allow people to speak into our lives, and it's scary. Uh, and this idea here is that not only do we need to be sharpened, but we also need to speak truth and love. And a true friend will tell you unpleasant truths. Let's read Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then Ephesians four fifteen. Rather speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Do you notice something about this proverb? The expectation is that we're going to be hurt by friends. The expectation is that our friends, a true friend, is going to speak hard truths into our lives. And I don't like having hard truths spoken into my life. I don't know about you. But... The thing, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that true friends know us and love us and call us out from our sin. And the thing is, is that God uses their words to grow us and them. 
As Pastor Kevin mentioned again a couple weeks ago on our words, if we confront someone for the right reasons, it's never going to feel good. It's never going to feel good to be that person that says, you are in sin, or you are prideful, or you are apathetic. It is never good, or it is good. It it never feels good to be that person, being the messenger for that. But here's the, the reality. Confrontation is a risky process. But it has the potential to save a wayward brother or sister. It's risky, but there's fruit to it. And so a true friend cares enough to tell us not what we want to hear. You look so good today. You're the best. But we need a friend to tell us what we don't want to hear. Sometimes that means that we have broccoli in our teeth. A true friend will point that out to us and tell us that we have food in our mouth. A true friend will tell us not just those superficial things, but will tell us things about our character, things about our lifestyles. True friends will risk their friendship to tell us things we don't want to hear. For me, um, I had two friends recently uh, approach me and told me that the words that I was talking about, specific individuals, um, they weren't loving. They weren't gracious. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to change my heart. It was a hard thing for them to say to me, but it was the right thing for them to say to me. And uh, through that, uh, the Lord has been gracious to me and has been growing me in wisdom and understanding. And and more importantly, he's been growing me in a love for these people. And so true friends will call us out on the rug. They'll call us out on the carpet. And they will point us to Christ. Being an honest friend involves intentional investment and vulnerability. If we want to be a true friend, we must be honest friends. The reality of our lives is such that our friends will inevitably hurt us, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We are all full of sin. And the idea is that we are going to hurt each other because we live in a broken and a sinful world. And it brings us to our third and also very important quality of true friendship, and that we need to be a forgiving friend. Forgiveness is essential to being a good friend. Let's read some more Proverbs. twenty twenty two. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Every single person in here has been hurt by a friend. Sometimes we've been hurt more by someone who's called us a friend than than by strangers. 
We've also been people who have hurt friends. We've let others down. So we are all in the same boat. We all need to be forgiving people. And again, just we've been hurt deeply by these people who've called us friends. We've invited invited them into our homes. We've shared meals with them. We've prayed with them. They've been through difficult times with us. And sometimes a a friend who has hurt us is, is hard to forgive. Our natural inclination is to pay pain for pain, wound for wound, tit for tat. And so, you know, the old adage, if you can't get right, get even. And so there's, it's ingrained in our culture to, to pay back what has been paid to us. But there's something essential to uh, the book of Proverbs. And it's, it doesn't make any sense, and it's the wisdom of loving friends. And not just loving them, but forgiving them. Forgiving loved ones. Showing love results in the potential to draw them to repentance. The book of Proverbs teaches us that learning to forgive is essential to living a wise life. Let's read Proverbs 17.9. It says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Ultimately, in forgiving friends that have hurt us, we need to trust that God is in complete control. We need to recognize the fact that God is going to be using the situation to potentially grow us, both the wounded and the wounder, into, uh, into the grace of Christ. And so we need to recognize that, that the Lord has the ability to grow us in love. Uh, but it also demonstrates just complete trust in God and control over all things especially when the person who's wronged us is near and dear to our hearts. Regardless if we've experienced pain from a spouse or a coworker, or a sibling or a parent or a fellow student or really anyone in our sphere of influence who has caused us pain, there are uh, five ap- applicational ways that I found from the Desiring God website. and It's just powerful for us to, to pray as we've been wounded. And so the first one is, is pray for God to search your wounded heart. So just a question here is, were you wounded because your sin was exposed? Is this a pattern or a first-time offense? So as we've been wounded by a friend, we need to assess, was this a first-time offense or was this a pattern from this friend? So we, we need to bring that before the Lord. Number two, we need to pray for grace to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy, both in yourself and in your friend. We also need to pray for discernment and ask this question, does God want us to overlook or address the offense? Number four, if you must address the offense, pray that you would be honest and gracious with the friend about the way you are hurt and that your friend would respond to you in humility. And then number five, pray that you would love your friend at all times. Love is is essential to forgiveness. We can't forgive if we don't love. 
But do you notice the common theme between all five of these? It's not that you are going to your friend or your friend's friends and you're telling them all the dirty details, but you are bringing your hurt and your pain before God. As we've already seen in Proverbs, that uh, uh, gossip, that uh, friends who continue to bring up old matters will separate friends. So nothing is more detrimental to a friendship than spreading all the dirt about how you've been wronged, how you've been hurt. And you are are coming before the Lord and you are, are submitting yourself to him. But the reality is, is if we want to have forgiving friends, we need to be a forgiving friend. We need to model that characteristic so that others can see that in us. We need to be the friend that we want to have. But ultimately, we need something more. We can go out today, we can strive to be a more faithful friend. We can strive to be a more honest friend. We can strive to be a more forgiving friend. But at the end of the day, we will fall short. We'll fall into old habits. We'll fall into old patterns. And so we need something more. Ultimately, we need a perfect friend. None of us are perfect. None of us have the ability to be perfect. This side of heaven, we're all imperfect. But we need a perfect friendship. And that perfect friendship can only be found in Christ. Let's read, uh, or actually, so we must look to Christ, our true loving friend. Let's read Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. As we navigate the messiness and the brokenness of life, we'll all be hurt by someone. We'll all hurt someone. It is the reality of life because of the presence of sin. But we have to recognize that if we truly desire to be wise in life, it goes beyond being a good friend. It goes to knowing the only true good friend. And so that person, of course, is Christ. As we even think back about faithfulness, the faithful friend, Christ is the only faithful friend. Christ is the only person who will be there for us at all times. Some of our friends may live halfway across the country and we need their presence now, but we can't get it. Christ is always there. Christ is our friend who never leaves us or abandons us, as he's told us numerous times throughout the New Testament, that Christ is always present in our life. And so we also need to recognize that that. Christ loves us, continues to love us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sinfulness. He even went as far as to die for our sins so that we would not feel that consequence. Jesus is the person who sticks closer than any person in this world. And it's through Christ's friendship that we know the truth and we are changed by the truth. The 
the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts to the very soul, to the very marrow of, our, of, our, of who we are. And so Christ uses that Scripture to change us, to form us, to radically uh, revolutionize us. And so Christ even said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. So Christ is our only true friend. But we also see that, that through Christ's friendship, through Christ's power, that we have the ability and the power to forgive sin. Not sin, others. He has forgiven our sins, and we have the ability to forgive others. So it's through Christ's faithfulness, it's through Christ's honesty, and through Christ's forgiveness that we can be good friends. And it's through that power, through that ability. And so not only are we called friends of Christ, we're also called sons and daughters of God. So Christ is moving us from slaves, from people enslaved to sin, to being friends, to being sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And so it's through Christ that we can know God. It's through Christ that we can make God known. And there is no higher quality of friendship than what Jesus offers to us. In fact, Jesus is the means by which we can call or that we can actually have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. As we saw, again, just looking back at Genesis 2, that relationship, that friendship with God was broken because of sin. And, God, and, and Christ, through his ministry, Christ, through his life, has restored that friendship back in the Garden of Eden. Or actually, sorry, after the Garden of Eden. But as we look to the beginning of our weeks, as we look to all the things that we have going on this week, let me say this. When God reigns in your hearts, peace reigns in your friendships. As we have seen, friendship is a gift from God. And we need to not only be wise in selecting friends, as we saw last week, but we need to be the friend that lovingly speaks into others. It's through Christ that we can be good friends. It's through Christ that we can love the broken, that we can love the hurting. And so as we go out this morning, go and seek Christ.